Hello and welcome into NCBI's technology podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler. Thank you, as always, for downloading uh, and subscribing to our monthly program. This is episode number 61 for June 2017. And believe it or not, five years ago this very month, I sat in this studio bringing you episode number one. I wasn't sure that we'd even get to episode number two, not to mind 61, but we're here somehow. Welcome in. Episode number 61. My goodness. Anyway, I hope you're going to stay with us. We're with you for just under an hour and 20 minutes. It's a long one this month, but it's a great one, if I can say so myself, because of our great guests, of course. Uh, Dara O'Haley is joining us to talk about Windows Narrator and significant accessibility in that application in Windows 10. I introduce you to a seriously hot product. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to listen. Sharon Lines is along with more Windows 10 tweaks. And finally, Tina Pollock from Galway is talking to us about accessible photography for people who are visually impaired. Fascinating piece. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. Well, you are very welcome in once again to our technology podcast. It's hard to believe that we are five years old. It it really seems like no time that five years ago um, we were here producing the very first edition for June 2012. It was an experiment. Myself and our then CEO, Des Kenny, you know, we, we weren't sure if this would work. We kind of said, let's try it. Let's give it three months. And three months led to six months. And I remember sitting in Des's office and we just kind of said, oh, yeah, the podcast is going to continue, of course. And it, it was just really strange. And uh, it's something that we never take for granted. When I look back at the very first episode and all the things we've done since then, it's been a, a great five years. And it's thanks to all of you, uh, our listeners, our contributors, the people, my own colleagues within NCBI who helped to make the podcast what it is. And uh, we're looking forward to many more years. There's there's lots planned for the future. And one of the things we are going to be doing in the next couple of months, and I'll talk more about this as it happens, is that we're going to um, be pushing out a survey uh, to find out what you like or don't like about the podcast and how you think the podcast could develop. We have a couple of ideas, but we want to make sure our ideas tally with those of our listeners. So uh, watch this space. I will give you more information as we prepare that survey over the next uh, couple of months. Now, two dates for your diary, um, and they're kind of important ones, actually. The first is imminent. It's uh, going to be starting in the middle of June. And Brian Harchton from Harchton Consultancy in the UK. We've spoken with Brian a couple of times before. He's the genius behind Lisi, and he's the genius behind uh, JSay and Say Magic, and he's the genius behind a whole load of scripts for programs like Station Playlist, uh, amongst others. Well, Brian has been running a whole load of courses uh, over the last couple of months, and he's doing another one. And it was the one that really got me excited. It's called Forging Ahead with SoundForge. SoundForge is one of the most popular audio editors on Windows for uh, people who are blind. And Brian's running a four-week course uh, starting in the middle of June. Uh, It's starting on the 14th of June, Wednesday the 14th of June. If you want more information, go to www.harchton.com. 
g-e-n.org highly recommend anything that brian does uh, he pr- he produces quality all the time and the second date for your diary this is a little bit further away last year we were delighted to welcome sight and sound and freedom scientific who are now of course part of the vfo group to ncbi we had a huge attendance both online and virtually and there were some amazing offers on the day for reductions right across the vfo and sight and sound product portfolio there were there were crazy prices there's no doubt uh, jaws was slashed there was braille displays rushing out of the place uh, um, pearl cameras topaz cctvs there was so much stuff that day there was so many people queuing up to buy technology and we're giving you the opportunity to do it all again this summer august 9th is going to be the date it's a wednesday more details to be confirmed soon keep an eye on ncbi.ie forward slash technology we'll be posting all the details there and uh, as i say August 9th, it is a Wednesday, and we will have more information. I'll have lots more information for you on the July edition of our podcast. But do please save the date. Now, um, as always, comments, questions, suggestions, thoughts for the future, etc., are more than welcome. And indeed, it's those comments and questions and suggestions that have kept us going for five years. So please continue to do that and send those in to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie. A number of years ago, in fact in 2005, Apple launched VoiceOver on their Mac OS platform. And back then you could uh, turn on your Apple Mac and press a key and the Apple computer spoke. It was a very exciting time. I remember seeing the VoiceOver screen reader in the early days and it's moved on significantly since then. But even before VoiceOver, Microsoft had included Narrator on uh, their Microsoft Windows operating system starting in Windows 2000. And I remember playing with Narrator and thinking that it was a bit of a gimmick. In fact, at the time, Microsoft just say Narrator is something that will read aloud text on the screen. And I don't think even Microsoft saw it as a serious screen reader. Well, someone who does see it as a serious screen reader today is a bit of a tech guru. If you read or follow Digital Dara on Twitter, you'll be familiar with the Digital Dara brand. And the person behind it is tech guru Dara O'Haley from Drada in County Louth, who joins us on Skype. Dara, welcome to the Technology Podcast. Thanks very much, Stuart. It's been a while, but we finally got me on, on here. It's been, it's, been, it's been a while. We've had a few failed attempts, but great to have you. I mean, you've been involved in technology for a very long time, and I, I think that whole digital data is a bit of a brand, isn't it? It is. It is. It's funny, actually. A fellow came up to me when I was playing music in Carlo one evening, and he went, um, you're digital data, aren't you? So, yeah, it is. It's become a bit of a brand. It's It's kind of... It means different things to different people uh, for the accessibility side of things. Obviously, it's in relation to JAWS and NVDA and screen readers and all that kind of stuff. And then for the sysadmin stuff, it's infrastructure and networks and operating systems. So it's a, it's diverse and good. It's a, thanks to you that the name came from. Really. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another story. Um, and, and I suppose we could talk to you for hours, but I know you often write really cool things on your blog. And one of the things I liked, I think it was last Christmas, maybe you were talking about how you were controlling, uh, turning your Christmas tree lights on and off with your Amazon Echo, I think. Yeah, that uh, the Amazon Echo in conjunction with something like IFTTT, if then, then that, uh, or sorry, if this, then that, uh, is a really powerful tool. And 
if you are into making stuff and you want to try out different things, you can try the Raspberry Pi very easily. You can try the Arduino very easily. Um, there are blogs out there in relation to using the Android, sorry, not the Android, the Arduino, uh, with basically without being able to see it uh, by counting the pins, and I find that works re- really effectively. So if you're into that kind of stuff, go and look at it. It's great. All right, and you're all over social media as well, so people can uh, follow you and ask questions and do all that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So uh, we're here to talk about... Um, an interesting article that you put on your blog, and we're going to link to it in the show notes for this episode. And yeah, you alerted me to it. I read it and I was really interested and I haven't played with Narrator in a little while. But Dara, I was telling you all fair that um, I remember years ago on Windows 2000, as we mentioned at the start, Windows um, when Microsoft launched Windows Narrator, I was trying to download a video driver for my then uh, Dell computer to make JAWS work with it. And I don't know how I did it, but I actually did with Narrator even back then. And, and it really, at that stage, was not designed to do that. No, and but the web was much easier and much more straightforward than, you know, a link was a link. Uh, even though it wasn't always labeled correctly, a link was still there and something that you could access without getting too technical from it via the document object model. So when you press tab, it was a focus, focusable element that narrator could then read. Okay. The web has become hugely more complicated since then. So I'm really glad that Microsoft have upped their game a little bit uh, with respect to accessibility and made narrator more compliant or more aware of HTML5 standards and ARIA standards. Okay, we're going to talk about that because I would have sort of in in my head anyway, for the last number of years, I saw narrator and at least I thought Microsoft saw narrator as this kind of aid, you know, to get you going or maybe for people with a disability other than vision who needed to hear um, maybe text spoken, but, but not to be relied on as a screen reader. But it would appear and you and I, and in fact, you mentioned the Surface um, tablets on your on your blog post and you and I have used the Surface and we've both set the Surface up using Narrator, it would appear that Microsoft are changing that philosophy. There's something called Feedback Hub in Windows and about a year ago to oh, 16 back months back. ago, there was a huge petition on the Feedback Hub to say make Narrator a fully featured screen reader. In, reader. in fact, I think if you search for that text, in the feedback hub, you'll find that partition. And I shared it an awful lot, really did, and tried to get as many signers or signatories to it as possible. And I know a lot of other people did as well. And I think Microsoft really set up and took note at that point and said, okay, we have the potential to make this narrator thing uh, much more inclusive, much more comprehensive, uh, so that it does become, or it, it grows into that realm of, what is considered a screen reader tool. So why would Microsoft do that when, okay, let's let's maybe put aside the commercial screen readers for a moment, but when you have something free out there, someone says, I want to get a free screen reader, and there are free screen readers out there, why would why do you think Microsoft wanted to build their own? Well, I had the, the fortune to meet Satya Nadella, uh, the CEO of Microsoft, in September um, in, in DCU in Dublin. And I got from him at that point that he is very interested in inclusivity, in accessibility. Uh, so I think he's actually driven this kind of stuff from the top right down. Uh, I spoke to a member of the OneNote team, and the OneNote team has only recently become accessible. 
And I'm absolutely sure that it's because of Satya Nadella's input. Because OneNote, uh, up to a few months ago, was, a, was what's called a garage app. Completely inaccessible. In fact, they didn't know how they were going to make it accessible. Uh, they told me straight out, straight away, this is a canvas control that we've never made before. There is no UIA. There is no MSAA. There's nothing that the screen reader can hook into. And yet, six months later, in their UWP, in their Unified Windows Platform application that's available in Windows 10, it's a full redesign. Like That's exceptional. So I think the will is there right from the top down to make Microsoft software more uh, accessible, more usable. However, there is a bottom line to this as well. Microsoft are really pushing the education market at the moment. Uh, and that's that's evident from Windows 10S. They actually specifically aimed this at education. But to aim it at education, you need to uh, reduce the TCO, the total cost of ownership, for educational inf- uh, institutions. If an educational institution buys an Apple device, they get a screen reader straight, straight away. Microsoft, I think, needed to do the same thing uh, and still need to do the same thing to make their platform as viable as OS X or OS X or iOS. So we have a, and, and I suppose as well, because the screen reader is built into the Windows operating system and, you know, considering how frequently now Windows updates are being pushed out, the screen reader is always getting tweaked as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it is getting tweaked as well. Major updates seem to be in line with the with the twice yearly schedule. Now, I think if we pushed on that, that could actually increase. For example, there was a push on to to isolate the Microsoft Edge browser updates from the rest of the operating system so that the, those updates aren't only delivered twice a year. It is possible that given enough pressure, uh, Microsoft would be willing to isolate narrator updates as well uh, so that they're not just yearly or twice yearly. Okay, so we have, uh, right now we have Windows 10, because this is really where the focus is for today, Windows 10 with Microsoft Narrator. If I deleted my JAWS and my NVDA and and everything else off my computer, or if anyone else did, do you think we could survive with Narrator right now to do, you know, regular tasks? Well, you see, here's where, again, it's a little bit interesting, and it's not just a black and white thing. Just put yourself in the shoes of 99% of computer users and mobile phone users. They need to use the internet. They need to use online banking. Uh, they need to use Word or Outlook, you know, Skype. If you're one of those users, in my opinion at the moment, you could, with a certain level of readjustment, move over to using Narrator full-time. I'm not saying that it would be a seamless experience at the moment, but I am saying that it would be something worthwhile to consider or even try on a part-time basis so that you can provide feedback to Microsoft as to what's working and what's not working. There's a direct link to the feedback hub within the the Narrator uh, interface. So if there's something you're not liking in Narrator that's not doing well, you can supply that feedback in your own words straight to Microsoft. Okay, and you've been um, you've been doing that, I know, and, and you talk on your blog about kind of using Narrator versus the, some of the other screamers that you've used. Um, but one of the things you were talking to me about before we came on air was using Microsoft Edge, this new browser, which really isn't uh, really usable for any other screamer at present. But Narrator is doing pretty okay. Yeah, it is. So, I my use case is exactly the same as everybody else when it comes to certain point in the evening. 
I want to sit down and catch up on some news or browse social media or check my email or whatever. And at the moment, I can do that with ease with Narrator on Edge. For example, one website that I go to occasionally is theregister.co.uk. I can find the Edge icon in the bottom left-hand corner, double-tap on it. The touch screen, uh, keyboard is really accessible. Uh, it's as accessible now uh, as the iOS keyboard is. Uh, very easily, I can jump into that website, and I can use commands that are different to, to iOS, to the iPhone platform, but they aren't completely dissimilar. Uh, they, with a bit of adjustment, you can read them. For example, when you are when you want to use a say all or read from your current position, you use three fingers swipe down as opposed to two, because two fingers will adjust your position on the page to, you know, they basically like scrolling. scrolling. Mm. One thing I should add is there are some things that are better in Narrator, uh, that they've kind of taken from the talkback screen, screen reader in Android, I think. For example, if you're on a site or you're in a document and you scroll, it will give you the percentage that you scrolled to, which I think is very nice. So you're doing this at the moment with a touchscreen device. I presume you've used it with a physical keyboard as well. I know the caps lock is a, a kind of a modifier key for, for narrator, isn't that right? Absolutely. So I have a Surface Book. And a Surface Book is essentially a laptop where the screen will click off. I'll just give you a quick idea so have a listen that click there that you've just okay. heard is the surface book screen attached or detaching from the base of the of the laptop when it does that it's still the same computer because all of the working parts of the computer are in the screen uh, but so basically the the base of it is a is an extra battery and a keyboard so 99% of the time or probably 90% of the time at the moment i'm using the base I'm using the keyboard to do all of my navigation, all of my reading. But if I want to just sit down and I want to explore a page or if I don't want to, the, the weight of holding the keyboard as well, I can use the screen if I want. So you're right, the caps lock is the modifier. Um, and some of the conventions that you would find with the screen access are also found in the keyboard. For example, if you want to modify the unit that you want to move by, so let's say you want to change it to, to um, edit fields, you can press caps lock and down to, until you hear edit fields and then use the left and right arrows to move between next and previous edit fields, just like you would on, on the screen by swiping up and down to find the control that you want to navigate to and then left and right to navigate between those controls. Now, I will say that the, the narrator key la- keyboard layout isn't logical to me. It's not very nice. I, the, one of the first things I've done is make it a bit more logical and I suppose because I've been using JAWS now for 20 years, a lot of that uh, logic is based on what I expect from JAWS. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably the same for a lot of us. If you've been using one screen reader for, for a while, it's you, you sort of go back to old habits, don't you? And the other thing I think that, that we might expect is, and particularly in, in a, um, a web browsing scenario, is this idea of a virtual cursor where you can kind of scroll around and you know d- uh, almost use it like you would use a word processor, cutting and copying and, and moving around. Does that type of functionality exist with Narrator? You can certainly move around like you are using the virtual cursor. Actually, one thing that I haven't had to do yet is copying text because of the new share functionality in Windows 10. If I if I want to share a page or an extract of a page with somebody, I'll just you know swipe in from the from the right, use the uh, share icon from the action center, and share the page that I'm on. Uh, there are share buttons as well on Edge, but it, it's just the habit that I've gotten into using the action center. 
All right. Now, Dara, let's talk about something that I know you're, you've, and again, you talk about this in your blog, you're quite excited about it. I've done it on a surface. I'm excited about it. This idea of turning on a machine and just setting it up. And we got so used to this with our iPhones, but I did this last year on a Windows 10 machine and I signed into my Microsoft account and my OneDrive synced on my favorites. It's, it's fantastic, isn't it? It is. And, and it's actually the number one reason why I'm saying Freedom Scientific uh, NV access, all of those need to sit up and pay real attention because the day that people can do most of what they want with a screen reader that they can access by pressing two buttons on a brand new device is the day they need to be very concerned. And it's the day that people will stop using um, third party uh, applications such as JAWS and NVDA. And especially when, when, it's, when it's built in free into the machine. Yes, yeah, so NVDA of course is free, mm. but it's not built in. You, you have a little bit of working there to get it to install and if you don't have a cited assistance at the time then you basically you're, you're a bit stuck narrator you press the uh, power key and the volume up button and there you go you have narrator the the great thing about this as well and, and it's not highlighted uh, often enough at this point which is incredible you can now install windows 10 with a screen reader so you can when when your screen when your windows installation starts the Cortana uh, system will will start up and you can speak to the installation. So you can say, um, you know, do you accept the license agreement? Yes. Do you want to pick additional networks? No. Uh, Is this keyboard layout okay for you? Yes. If not, what keyboard layout do you want? Irish. You can do all that and then it will tell you. In addition to this, you can press Control, Windows and Enter or Power and Up Arrow or sorry, Volume Up to enable narrator and the speed the, the rest of the installation speaks just perfectly are you starting to see that making your life easier in your in your professional life in your professional I, job i don't install uh guest operating systems all that often i'm on, on the infrastructure side of things okay but uh, in terms of where it's looking like it could be going if they enable that feature on windows 2016 with the usb headset um, on a virtual machine or a physical machine, I could see that being incredibly valuable. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. Uh, you know, there's so much happening and I suppose the uh, the Windows Creators update was was one was a, a kind of a major major milestone around that whole narrator and especially the the uh, the talking install, wasn't it? Yeah, and actually if you look at at the whole thing around Microsoft, I opened um PowerPoint this morning for the first time in a while. And I was amazed when I saw the what's, the what's New notes. The very first thing there was in relation to automatic alt tagging and automatic presentation design for people who are blind and vision impaired. That's amazing. Like The fact that they're highlighting this stuff and they're not putting it down at the bottom of the release notes anymore. It's actually way up there at the top. That should speak volumes. And again, it really does show that Freedom Scientific uh, NV Access it's in my best interest, I should say, for these companies to succeed because I don't believe that Microsoft will ever make a screen reader that is fully featured enough to support as many third-party applications as JAWS does. And I think that JAWS specifically because it's not a, an opinion, it's, it's, a, it's a firm fact at this point, JAWS is the winner when it comes to supporting third-party enterprise applications. Uh, NVDA doesn't come close and neither does Windows as much as they might try. If JAWS does lose an, a lot of market share, and continues to lose a lot of market share, because I think it's lost its dominance completely, 
if it continues to lose that, then people like me are in trouble because I don't think Narrator is going to be able to keep up with third-party applications. Uh, certainly we won't get, I don't believe we will get the same level of support from Narrator developers in Microsoft as we do from Freedom Scientific uh, developers and support people. So I I hope that NVIDIA, uh, NVIDIA and JAWS developers sit up now and say, right, this is actually something we really need to take seriously. We need to uh, put a lot more resources into developing new new features, uh, developing new intelligence within the product. People keep talking about, about AI, and I think in some ways the idea of AI is a bit far-fetched at the moment, but what it speaks of is a little bit of software intelligence so that the software can make better decisions on its own without human input. I think maybe that's the kind of area that JAWS and NVIDIA needs to look at. It's difficult to predict, I know, and it's difficult even to know what we're going to be using in, say, three years' time. But it seems to me, Dara, this is moving at a very fast pace. We're getting this huge enhancements in accessibility, in particular in the Microsoft sort of suites and uh, operating systems, as you've just talked about. And then we have this added bonus of narrator. And you've kind of um, made reference there to, to screen reader manufacturers having to sit up and take note. What, what, do you, what do you see in the future in, I don't know, three or four years time? What, what, what do you think it's going to look like? Well, I, I think one thing that, we, that it's going to look like, if it continues along the way that it's going at the moment, we're going to have a big problem in relation to browser accessibility. Chrome are going off and doing their own thing, Google Chrome. They are supporting um, lovely new standards that they are in, they are developing on top of HTML5, and I'm sorry if I'm getting too technical, but they support something like, for example, uh, automatically sending text from a server to a browser, which is great, but nobody else really supports their implementation of that. Mozilla seemed to hold hard and fast to HTML5 and ARIA standards, and they do a very good job of it. Edge seems to be trying to do the same, but maybe not to the same level. I don't, I can't really say that with full certainty because the only screen reader that I have to compare that with is Narrator on Edge. And I'm afraid that maybe Edge is doing it right, but Narrator is doing it wrong. So I, I could be wrong there. My concern is that if if they don't agree on a standard, then from an accessibility point of view, um, a slider that's recognized in Chrome may not be recognized in Firefox. In fact, I have that problem at the moment. There's a grid in an application that I'm using. Works great in Chrome, but isn't seen at all in Firefox. From a Firefox point of view, though, everything else is more accessible for JAWS, but in Chrome, the parts that are more accessible with JAWS aren't very useful for a mouse user. So when I need to get side assistance on that application, which invariably I do because it doesn't work as well with JAWS on Chrome, uh, the sighted user has then problems accessing it. So I, I think we need to get a lot better, or the browser manufacturers need to get a lot better uh, at getting to this one standard and, and using it. Uh, but overall, in the, in the next three years or so, I, I do see a lot more of accessibility coming down the line. I think if Microsoft can get the right support from us, then I think they'll keep doing what they're doing. I, I think that's really positive. And it's a, it's a nice way to kind of um, maybe bring this to a conclusion. And also maybe, as you said, for people to test out Narrator. And you can kind of, I presume there is that Windows feedback hub as well, isn't there, where you can, you can give feedback uh, to Microsoft. <laughs> 
Yeah, the feedback is really important. But what's also important is that you look at the existing feedback and vote on it. And if you see something that you're passionate about and that you think it would be very good, spread it around your circle of friends. Use social media to to its most or to its highest degree. Make sure that word gets out of that feature because if it's not voted up, it'll slide down the list. People won't see it. Uh, so get your, your items out there, but also get them voted on. Because if you just put something out there and nobody votes on it, it's just not going to get looked at. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Dara, thanks a million for kind of, I suppose, not only giving us a, a glimpse of what's, of what's available now and maybe getting us excited about uh, Narrator, and you've certainly gotten me excited about it, but also about making, giving us a glimpse into the future and uh, thinking down the line about how we might be interacting with the web in, in a couple of years' time. Next month, Dara is going to be back with a little piece he's going to record where we're going to actually see you in action with Windows Narrator. Isn't that right? Kind of yeah, I'll, I'll use, I have a few Surface devices here. I'll use them uh, to maybe try out Skype very quickly uh, and try out Edge just to give you an idea of actually how efficient this is. But if you want to try it now, if you're using the version before the creator's update, you press Windows and enter. But I don't recommend, if you're using that version, just don't bother because it's been uh, enhanced so much since then that it's not worth it. If you're using the creator's update, press Control, Windows and Enter and it'll work great. Well, guess what I'm going to do after this, after we record this? <laughs> I'm going to go straight off. Uh, Dara, thanks for chatting to us. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing your demonstration uh, on next month's edition. But for now, thanks a million. Thank you very much. Well, on the last edition of our podcast, I did say that I was going to talk to you about one of the hottest products that was showcased at this year's CSUN Assistive Technology Conference in San Diego and at the Site City Assistive Technology Exhibition in Frankfurt. And no doubt it'll be in Site Village in Birmingham as well. If you are traveling to that exhibition in July, you will, of course, I'm sure, get to see it. Now, a couple of years ago when Apple launched the Apple Watch. I was very interested. I saw a number of people, met a number of people who had Apple Watches and and looked at them with voiceover and they were very impressive and did all sorts of things. But I never was that excited about getting one. And I think the reason I wasn't is because it was another device that talked and I didn't really want another device that talks. In my work life, certainly, and indeed in in a lot of my personal life as well, I use my iPhone with a Braille display, and I know I'm very lucky to be in the position to be able to do that. But I find that I rely a lot less on the speech aspect of my phone than I do on the Braille. And therefore, I have probably a bit more of a reliance on Braille as a medium through which I want to communicate with my phone. And of course, then that translates into checking the time. Last year, after a long time, I bought a traditional Braille watch for about 50 euros. And I remember thinking it was one of the best purchases I made in ages just to have a watch on my wrist. Well, this year um, in uh, San Diego, in CSUN, a small company from South Korea called Dot Incorporated showcased their new dot watch the world's first braille smartwatch first braille digital watch and i was very excited to read about this and we made a couple of contacts and had some discussions and we have a dot watch in ncbi that we've been evaluating for the last little while it's 
an incredible piece of technology for a version one product and indeed it isn't even on sale yet it will be on sale later in the summer they're taking pre-orders for it at the moment on the dot incorporated website and i'll put that website on the show notes for this podcast episode Last year, I demonstrated the Orbit Reader. I have a habit of demonstrating Braille displays on podcasts, and it's a very difficult thing to do. And again, this is going to be quite difficult, but I'm going to try to demonstrate the watch, but I'm probably more going to focus on the accompanying app that you uh, install on your phone in order to make this watch do lots of things. Out of the box, the watch will tell you the time, and you can set a stopwatch and check the battery. But with the app, you can configure a number of settings and you can set alarms and also check battery power uh, verbally from the phone. The app is free. It's on the App Store. And once you get and install the app, you first of all have to create an account uh, with your email and a password. And then you log in to the DOT Incorporated system where you can pair your DOT smartwatch. And they do this because they gather, and they're very open about this, they gather data to see how the watch is going and make sure that it's uh, all working okay. To describe the watch, it's it's probably quite big. And a lot of people who've seen it on my wrist have said, you know, it looks quite big. Apparently it looks, it looks quite a, as, as a smartwatch would look. Um, and there are three controls on the right hand side there are two buttons and in the middle there's a crown that turns round and round that clicks a bit like the old um, uh, crown you'd have if you were winding a watch beneath the crown is the home button and this returns the watch to its default state if you are either in a menu or you're checking the time and above the crown is the button to tell the time or the menu button i think they call it as well one of the things with this product at present is that the manual is because the people who wrote it clearly english isn't their first language it can be challenging to read it and understand exactly what it does so I think one of the things that will happen when this product goes on sale is that the manual will be localised, so it will become easier to read. One of the other problems, or one of the other challenges at the moment with this watch, is that every time you turn off your phone or put it into flight mode, and I have a habit of doing that when I go to bed, I put my phone in flight mode and I turn it on, the uh, the pairing with the watch gets lost and it doesn't automatically pair when the phone comes back on, so you have to go through a pairing process. The watch has four braille cells, so you can, as well as the things I just mentioned a moment ago, you can read your notifications. So, for example, missed calls. And underneath the four Braille cells on the left and right are two touch sensors to scroll the Braille display forward and back. Um, you wouldn't read a lot of Braille with this by any means, but you can read quick notifications and it is extremely handy. I've disconnected the entire watch now and I'm going to unlock my phone and I'm going to open up the Dot Watch app. Dot watch. There's Dot Watch. Action's Let's available. double tap it. Dot Watch. Login. Hi, Stuart. Button. Okay. Dot Watch. Connecting. Button. Now it says Dot Watch connecting. I don't know if it's going to connect because I unpaired it um, just before I started this recording. So it may not work and I will have to try and pair it again. Hi. Dot Watch. Disconnected. Button. Okay, dot watch is disconnected. Let's go in here. Dot watch. Dot watch. And what I'm going to do now button. is I'm going to press the um, menu button on the dot watch to try to uh, hopefully make my phone see dot it. Watch. Alert. Bluetooth pairing request. Dot watch DW01. Cancel. Pair. 
Okay, there's a Bluetooth pairing request and the watch has vibrated on my wrist and now the uh, watch is connected. And let's uh, check the battery. Dot watch, battery 40%. Okay, so the battery is 40%. Let's have a look around the main screen of the app. Functions, button. So there's functions. Settings, button. Settings. Supports, button. And supports, which really give you the manual and uh, a way to contact the Dot Incorporated people if you have any queries about the watch. Let's go into... Functions. Functions. Functions, functions, main, back button. So I'm now in functions. Let's swipe forward. Functions, heading, alarm, button. So we can set an alarm. Save message, button. We can, there's a save message and a send message. The save message feature is supposed to be able to save messages from your phone to the watch for reading. I have not been able to work out how this feature works. And, and, and I think it's partly to do with my interpretation of the manual, but I have not been able to make any sense of what this feature is for. Send message button. The send message uh, feature allows you to, well, they call it learn to read Braille. So the idea is you go into send message, you get your traditional iOS keyboard and you can type something. So you could type, say, I'm thinking of something with with uh, four letters, say cars, C-A-R-S. You would type that and you press enter and the word cars pops up on your Braille watch. So it sends the word or indeed the string of words that you typed to the Braille watch. Send message. Main. I'm going to come back out of functions. Main. Functions. Settings. And I'm going to go to settings. 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 Main. Back button. Settings. Heading. About dot. Button. So about dot gives you information about the dot watch, the serial number, the firmware version, etc. And there are firmware updates being released for this frequently, which is good. Watch faces. Button. Watch faces. There are two type of watch faces if we go in here. Watch faces. Watch faces. Settings. Back button. Watch faces. Heading. Selected. Braille mode. So there's Braille mode. Tactile mode. Or there's tactile mode. Now, I have not played enough with the tactile mode, but the DOT incorporated um, people say that tactile mode is a way that people who cannot use Braille can still enjoy their product and use the Braille DOT watch. Notification button. Um, Here's notification. And this is where you can configure what you want to have notifications on. Software button. Here's software. I'll go in here. Software. Software. Settings. This is where you go for firmware updates. Software. Heading. Firmware is up to date. B101. Okay, so my firmware is up to date. That's fine. Software. Language. Button. And here's my language settings. Language. Settings. Back button. Save. Language. Heading. English. UEB. Grade 2. Korean. Grade 2. Button. So the options at the moment are English. UEB. Grade 2. Or Korean. Grade 2. Primary language. Heading. English. Button. And I have my primary language Settings. set to English. Output. Button. Here's the output. So we'll go output. in here and have a look. Output. Settings. Back button. Save. But auto scroll speed. Four. Adjustable. Now there is the auto scroll speed. I have not been able to get this watch to auto scroll. So what's supposed to happen is you don't, if you want to, you can switch on auto scroll. You don't have to use the two sensors I mentioned earlier on. The Braille will just scroll after, in this case, four seconds. But I have not got that to work. Vibration intensity. Six. 
Adjustable. This uh, obviously lets you control the intensity of the vibration. I have mine set to six. Standby time. Five. Adjustable. This is the amount of time that the Braille cells will stay up from the time you press the button to check the time. I have it set to five seconds, which is the least amount of time you can have. Number of pin repetitions. One. Button. One of three. I'm not clear again what the number of pin repetitions are. I tried to. I, I found no change making. I found no difference making these changes. And again, in the manual, it was a little unclear what these did. Settings. Output. Button. Output. Button. And that's the end of the settings part of the app. This is a very much a first release of a product and it is amazingly good for a first release so much so that i've had it on my wrist for the last three weeks and i'm really really liking it now in so much as i can demonstrate this i'm holding the watch right beside the microphone and i'm going to press the button to ask it for the time what you'll hopefully hear is the braille dots popping up to tell me the time so let's try this let's press the button and they did pop up 2002 and i'm just going to try it again ignore my phone let's try it again here there's the dots and i'm going to press the home button and it vibrated and the dots pop back down one of the other issues with the braille with the with the dot watch is that the braille display is exposed it doesn't have a cover and i would worry that over time it's going to get damaged or get dirty. So maybe that's something that they're going to think of um, in the future. But for a version one product, or a pre-release product even, it is quite amazing. This device apparently is going to sell somewhere around 300 euros. I think it's not a bad price at all for what you're getting, a Braille smartwatch. And I think we've just seen the beginnings. The, the guys in DOT seem very determined, seem very proactive, very innovative, very focused. And I think they have big plans for this product and indeed other Braille products that we're going to see coming out of South Korea in the next couple of years. Now you are listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast for June 2017, and it's great to be back, not just virtually, but in person with Yay. Sharon Lyons for more shortcuts. Sharon, welcome back. Hi, Stuart. Yes. I think it's been... Um, we I don't are know. in person this time. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. It's been, it feels like a long time. I think it was three months. We, we did one session on Skype to show Skype, and then I yeah. think you and I both realized, because we're both quite busy, and recording yeah. a podcast is another job. And we suddenly realized, actually, Skype works really well. So yeah. maybe we'll just continue. But uh, you happen to be in NCBI and we said, let's do a recording in person. Um, so great to yes. have you back. I left the house because the weather got better. OK, so. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so we're here in our little studio at the top of the main building in NCBI. Mm -hmm. um, before we talk about the, and we're talking again this month, following on from the Windows 10 tweaks, we have yep. more tweaks. But before that, Sharon, uh, so exciting series of workshops that uh, you and I and I suppose you and NCBI are teaming up to do in July. Yes, indeed. Yes. I just thought um, it'd be good. It's kind of like um, something for the summer if people want to work on different things uh, on the computer tweaking making windows 10 tweaks maybe or uh, working in word or excel or whatever people want to work on um i'm running some hands-on workshops and 
um, NCBI have given me use of their computer room so for, for some Saturdays in July to run these workshops. So thank you very much, NCBI Training Centre. Thank you, Stuart. So um, there's also talk of uh, there's tea and coffee and snacks, which may involve homemade beetroot brownies. So it'd be worth coming along to the workshops just for that. <laughs> I've tasted these. They're very good. They really are. So, uh, so yeah, if people are interested, they it, it's a direct contact with yourself. So yeah. It's info at Sharon's Shortcuts dot uh, IE. Yeah, so info at Sharon's dash shortcuts. Sharon's dash shortcuts. IE. Okay. Sorry, the dash is a bit yeah, confusing, absolutely. but, but uh, that's that's the website. So um, yeah, so get in touch. Let me know if you're interested. Let me know what you would like to to work on. They're running in Dublin, by the way. So um, you know, if you're out in Colombia somewhere, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, a lot of for our international listeners, you'd never know. We might do them outside next year. Well, if they pay my travel expenses, I'll yeah, come to Colombia. Absolutely, <laughs> and and you know, it's a great idea these these workshops because mostly, uh, you know, um, there's a course and it says you know this will cover X, Y, and Z, and you know you see their ECDL or it's beginner computers or it's whatever. You're sort of opening the door and just saying, listen, just come in, and, yeah, and tell me what you want to do. So. I think that will be interesting because it's not mm. really something we've done before mm-hmm. and we're kind of excited about it and looking forward to being part of at least some of those workshops in July. So uh, mm-hmm. I hope we get good uptake for those. I just think if you if you get some people together who are trying to work on different skills on, on the computer and we go through it together, it's just really, it, it's really um, beneficial. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we look forward to that. Uh, So we're continuing our Windows 10 tweaks. And I suppose one of the things that certainly threw me when I started using Windows, and this was not just in Windows 10, I think it was Windows 8 as well, Mm. was the way that the what is now called File Explorer does its thing. And um, I was always very used to my files being in a nice list and, you know, first letter navigation. It took me a little while to work out how to set that back up so that I could enjoy the same experience. Now I can, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't happen by default, does it? No, no. And um, I kind of have to do these things every time I go to a new version of Windows. So, um, yeah. So last week, like we put a, a, um, like you say, the file explorer works a bit differently. So we put a shortcut to documents on the desktop. So should we go ahead? and Absolutely. And that shortcut was great. It was something that I mapped a couple of shortcuts because mm-hmm. I have a couple of cloud sources that I mm-hmm. use as well. Mm-hmm. We have a, a OneDrive system here in work and I'm always online to it. So those shortcuts are really handy. So it's just so easy to have everything that you use most often on the desktop and then all you do is your Windows D. Folder view list. Documents shortcut checkbox. Oh, it remembers selected. where I was. <laughs> Brilliant. So I'm actually on documents, but you could always press D, and I think D. If I press D, it'll go around everything beginning with D on my desktop. So Dropbox checkbox okay. check data D shortcut. That's another checkbox one of my shortcuts. Checked, selected documents shortcut checkbox checked selected. Okay, so I'll press Enter on that. Documents window tree view. Level 1 is PC expanded, not selected, 3 of 4. Items view list. Okay. Ballet book are not checked, not selected, row 1, column 1, 1 of 12. Okay, so that's um, one of the first things in my documents at the moment. Balabolka, it's called. <laughs> There's some program I was using, so it's a, a folder. Um, now, I know that's a folder because I know Balabolka, but um, it doesn't actually tell me that it's a folder or anything and if I arrow around here 
Miscellaneous checked row 2, column 1, 8 of 12. Okay, now... Enable car checked row 1, column 1, 1 of 12. Just before I start going into um, folders and stuff, um, the view that I have set here at the moment is called large icons. And it could, it could be the default view. I can't remember what the default view in, is in Windows, but it's usually several icons, isn't it? Laid out in a grid kind of thing. So, um... Miscellaneous checked row 2, column 1, 8 of 12. And you know how it says uh, row 2, column 1, 8 of 12? Mm -hmm. What that basically means is this grid. And if I want to move around my files, I have to go to the left and right because it's only going to go between two things at the moment because there's two rows of icons. <laughs> Styles checked row two, test checked row two, column three, ten of twelve. I see I'm arrowing to the right there. Would these large icons be useful for people with low vision? Um, yeah, very much so. They might be. Um, it kind of depends on what files you have see what happens with the large icons certainly for things like photographs it's good if you can want to see the photographs in a list you could check that but the large icons if they're a file they're an icon of the application so if you have like a word file then the icon is like the word logo so you can tell what type of file it is if it's a folder, um, then it's just a yellow kind of cardboard, picture of a cardboard folder. So that tells you that it's a folder. But um, yeah, that might be useful. You'd still, all the folders probably look very similar. So you still need to be able to read the text to to know which folder was the right one. So so in, in some ways it would help people with low vision. And in other ways... Um, you may not actually be able to distinguish much from the large icons, if that makes sense. Okay. So I suppose, again, with so much of this, particularly around magnification, it just depends on your vision as well. Yes, it does. Yes, yeah. I mean, if you can magnify things up, then, um, you know, you might not need large icons. There might be too much if you magnify them up. So um, really, it's, it depends on, on um, what suits the person okay. at the end of the day. So when I do these tweaks, I'm kind of doing things that I find easier to use. And also that kind of usually it, it works well with a screen reader as well. Um, so I'm going to change this view to list or details are the two views. Um, and to do that... I'm going to use the uh, context menu, the applications key, or Shift F10, because my laptop doesn't have an applications key. But the Shift F10, the applications context menu, won't work properly unless I've unselected all the files. So if I have a file selected and I do my um, context menu, it's going to give me options for that file. Whereas if I make sure none of the files are selected, it will give me the options for the whole folder. So to unselect everything, I hold down control and press spacebar. The context menu, shift F10. Context menu. Okay, and I can arrow down. AMD Radeon settings. AMD Radeon settings, that's something to do with my graphics card, I think, or? Yeah, yeah, that's to do with my graphics card, I think. View submenu V. 
uh, and view. That's what I want. So I arrow down to view and press enter. Extra large icons X. And these are all the different views you can have. Large icons checked up. Um, large icons, so that's checked. Did you hear us say checked mm -hmm. there? Um, medium icons in. Medium. Small icons in. No, I don't want icons. List L. And we have list. Details D. Or details. Um, list, list L. will just give me a list of all the file names. Um, a linear list, so I can go up and down, top to bottom of my files and folders. Um, details D. Details will give me uh, more information, so it will give me things like date modified, size, depending on how my computer's set up. So I'm going to do details because we're going to go into that a little bit in a minute. Documents window. Items view list. Test not checked, not selected, 10 of 12. Okay, so now I can arrow up and down. Styles checked, miscellaneous checked, 8 of 12. Test checked 10, test checked 11 of 12. Training center practice web page checked 12 of... Well, that's from some web editing, <laughs> web editing module. Um, okay, so now I have no kind of columns and rows and things because I'm not icons, I'm just in a list. Now it does say checked and unchecked, so that's, there's a little check box. If not, and if I go home, I go to the top. Valuable car checked one of twelve. Valuable um, and so on. Custom office templates checked two of twelve. Okay, so I just find it easier to arrow up and down to to find things. Um, you can always press the first letter of what you want. Styles checked nine of twelve. TC styles that is, um, and it will bring you down. Uh, that will work in actually any view, I think, won't it? If you press the first letter of That's what you right, want. That's yeah, right, yeah, navigation, yeah. 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 So we're nice, uh, nice, easy list with details. Oh, that's right. I changed it to details, didn't I? So if I, um, I'll make sure I get this right. If I arrow to the right. Date modified edit 06 slash 10 slash 2016 2047 read only row 9 date modified column 2. Okay, so now that's giving me the details, date modified. Type edit cascading style sheet document read only row okay. nine type column. And that's three. the type is a, that's actually a CSS file. So that's to do with, um, this must have been doing a web editing <laughs> exercise and saving it into the documents there. And then size edit one kilobytes read only row nine size column four. And that's the size. So I can arrow to the right to get the details. So if I arrow back to the left. Type edit. Date modified, styles checked, 9 of 12. It goes back to the um, file name. Now, I have two files here. Test checked, 10 of 12. Test checked, 11 of 12. So I have two files called test. Test checked, 10 of 12. I'm just arrowing between them there. Now, how would you know what type of files they are? And, and I, I suppose the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is you wouldn't because the screen reader is just saying test. I have mm. no sense of what they are. Mm. Now, because I did details view, I could arrow quickly to the uh, right. Date modif type edit Firefox HTML document. And then it will give me the type. Date test checked 10 of 12. Um, and also, if I go up to a folder, miscellaneous checked eight of twelve. I know this is a folder because I know my files. But if I arrow to the right, date modified edit type edit file folder read only row eight type column three. 
Okay, and I'll go back again. But what I like to do is I like to put some indication into the um, name of the file to indicate what type it is. And the way I do that is to switch on the file extensions. So I go into file, the um, file folder, open file menu. New window grouping. Open new window split button, open the selected location in a new window. No, okay. Open and I arrow down grouping. to uh, options, options. Change settings for opening items. Folder options dialog. Press enter. General property page clear file explorer history. Now I want to go to view here, so uh, the view settings. So I do control tab to switch the page of settings. View property page, you can apply this view, such as details or icons, to all folders of this type. Oh, that's a good point. Folder views grouping. <laughs> apply to folders button alt plus L. Now, while I'm here, um, I just set the file view to details, didn't I? Um, so really, I want that view to be in all files and folders that I go into. And it doesn't necessarily, if you change it at one, in one, it doesn't change it for all unless you go in here, folder options, and you press enter on apply to folders. So I'm going to do that now. Folder views dialog. Do you want all folders of this type to match this folder's view settings? Yes. Yes button alt plus Y. Okay, I'll press enter on that. Folder options dialog. Okay. View so, property page. You can apply this. Yes, I know. <laughs> I've just done that. So, um, yeah, so I've applied the details view now across the board. And in the same place, I'm going to tab down to some advanced settings. Reset folders, but advanced settings, tree view, level zero files and folders expanded one of two. And here I have to arrow down a bit to find the extension setting. So bear with me for a minute. Um, always show icons, always show menus off check, display file icon on, display file size information, in. display the full path in the title bar off checkbox selected not checked. I'm so I'm um I'm looking for something about hiding extensions. Level one hidden files and folders but, expanded six of twenty one. But it's not hidden files and folders. Don't show hidden file. Show hidden files. Hide empty drives on checkbox checked selected. Hide empty drives. Okay, it's not that one. Hide extensions for known file types on checkbox Here we go. checked selected. Hide extensions for known file types is on. So I want to switch that off <laughs> so it doesn't hide file extensions. So it's a bit of a double negative. Hide extensions for known file types off. OK, and then I'll just tab to OK. Restore defaults button, Alt plus D. OK button. And press Enter on OK. Documents window. Items view list. Miscellaneous checked 8 of 12. So I have the miscellaneous now. That's a folder. And a folder won't have a file extension. Um, so if I arrow down from there, styles.css checked nine of twelve. Do you remember that ah, cascading yeah. style sheet? Yeah. That's .css. Yeah. Test.html checked ten of twelve. And we've got test, and we know it's a HTML document. Test.xlsx checked eleven of twelve. So now we know the difference between those two test exactly, files. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So one's HTML and one's 
XL less X. XL. <laughs> okay. Training center practice web page dot HTML checked 12. Okay, 12. we could have guessed that one was a HTML anyway, couldn't we? <laughs> the training center practice web page. Okay. So, so now um, we have a nice view. It's easy to scroll through with the arrow keys and we know our files from our folders and our types of files. Well, just to, just to finish today, the other thing that you could uh, do is you could change the sort. Um, and I think I was having a conversation with Eleanor on uh, VIP students list about this a little while back. Um, you could sort on some of the other uh, details that are in this. And do you remember we had, let's arrow to the right, Date modified, modified. Edit zero. type edit Firefox type. size edit four kilobytes read only row size. size column four. Okay. So say um say I wanted to maybe sort on um date modified, maybe find out uh what the most recently changed documents so if Type that arrow edit back date modified edit zero training center practice web page dot html check 12 of 12 now i'm just going to put it back to the file name because um if you don't arrow back to the file name and you start going up and down it's just going to read a lot of date modified um or types depending where you are in the details so now i'm going to use our context menu again but again, I have to make sure nothing's selected because I want to affect the whole list of files. I don't want to do something with the specific file I'm on. So control space Not bar. checked, not selected. And then um, context menu, shift F10. Context menu. And we are going to go down AMD to... view submenu V. Do you remember view we went into before? Mm -hmm. And the next one... Sort by submenu O. Sort by... Uh -huh. So I press enter on Sort that. Sort by menu. Name and checked in. Name is checked. So usually name is checked and um, it's usually ascending, you know, so it's alphabetical from A to Z. Um, so I'm going to arrow down. Date modified. And I want date modified, so I'll press enter. Um, Documents window. Items view list. Now, where am I? Not checked, not selected eight of 12. now balibolka that was at the top is now number eight of 12 and if i go to the top home test.xlsx checked one of 12 well it's my excel test file that was the most recently modified so that's the most recent so the most recently ones are at the top is that yes. it okay yeah Although the folders are a bit weird now. The folders, um, so the files are organised and date modify and then and then the folders are kind of organised themselves by date modified. So, okay, so um, you get the yeah. files first. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, don't, you don't get everything together, I suppose, no. sorted in date. It does its files, then it does its folders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. And we'll know because if we arrow down. Styles.css checked to training centre... Test.html check miscellaneous checked five of twelve. So there's no extension. We know that's a folder because it's got no extension yet. And um, that's the most recently modified folder. So it sounds like showing certainly I suppose there's sort of three things from today. The, that list view or details view yeah. is really good. And I certainly found that 
showing those extensions is mm-hmm. kind of key. Mm-hmm. And then being able to sort, just understanding that it will sort them in groups that your files are your yes. folders. Yeah, And your that's files right. will be sorted first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Sharon, uh, given us plenty more tweaks to play with. Um, we're looking forward to more in July. And again, just to remind people about the Without the Mouse workshops in NCBI with Sharon. Info at sharons-shortcuts.ie if you want to participate. Brilliant. Yeah. And let me know what you think. Yeah. Until July, Sharon, thanks a million. Thanks, Stuart. Now, I've heard about blind photography before, but when I got an email a week or two in NCBI with the offer of facilitating or at least setting up a blind photography workshop, I was very interested and we're quite excited in NCBI because we're, I was going to say we're doing this, but we're not doing this at all other than giving a a room. But here to tell us all about it on the phone from Galway is Tina Pollock, who's living in Galway, but originally from Germany. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Great to have you here. Um, so, d- just um, very briefly, you're you're not uh, from Galway. You've uh, I think you've developed something of an Irish accent uh, with a mixture of German. How, how long are you in Ireland? Um, three years. I did an exchange year, and I went back home, and now I'm back for two years. So, all in all, three years. All right. So you're you're enjoying life in Ireland. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Galway is lovely. Okay, Galway is a great city. All right, so um, b- blind photography. I, you know, I, I'd, I'd heard about this before, and I'm I'm kind of interested because I've had conversations with people before about you know, I, I used to do. I don't do as much of this anymore, but I used to do a lot of. Um, I'd bring my audio recorder with me everywhere, and I'd capture sounds of the sea, or I'd capture atmospheric sounds on the street. And I remember years ago going to Thailand and doing some great audio recordings, and I used to call them my audio photographs and I'd listen to them and, and whatever but th- th- this whole idea of blind or certainly low vision people taking pictures is something that's been going on in Germany for a while isn't it? Yeah it's uh, it's even bigger in America and in Britain so uh, Germany kind of took it up from there really but um, so we're doing workshops for so we uh, okay who we are first so the project is called Photo Narrations, Pictures for the Blind and Sighted. Uh, it's a German, and an, it, it started off as a German project, but we started to translate it into English and have an English website just to make it more international because obviously not everyone has German. So it started off um, the Berlin-based photographer, Carsten Hein. He did uh, portrait pictures of visually impaired people for a series he was doing. He's a sight photographer, so... Um, and to make people more comfortable, he started chatting to them because you get more natural pictures of people feel relaxed. So, and people started asking him about photography, and they were all visually impaired participants, and he was surprised that there was such an interest in it, and a lot of them said, oh, well, when I could see more, I used to take pictures all the time, or... I never done photography, but it sounds interesting. I'd like to give it a go, but I can't really go to a workshop for a side of photographers because people would ask me, oh, what do you want to? So he said, actually, why not? I'll organize a workshop for regime parent people to try out photography. And he teamed up with a college in Berlin. They would be students of social work. Um, and they are the assistants, so basically how it works 
um, you get te- you team up in groups, it's usually one or two, well, up to three, I'd say, visually impaired people in one group, and you have a few sight assistants, and then you go around and take pictures. It sounds fascinating because I know in the past I have I have tried and I'm using the word try very liberally here. Um, I've tried to take pictures of my phone. I've tried to take videos with my phone and people very politely tell me, especially when it's video, most of the time it's just the ground. Um, so I'm now and I suppose I've been blind since birth and I'm curious to know, first of all, is it generally, is it low vision people or is it totally blind? And indeed, if you were to look at totally blind, have they been blind from birth, or is it more so people who might have had some visual memory before? Um, it varies, really. I went to a workshop in Canterbury, and they were kind of really serious, um, really impaired hobby photographers. They all had some vision. But in our Berlin workshops, we would have people, they are completely blind, or can see very little, like light and shade. But the majority of people... Um, would have seen more in the past. I think at the moment we have nobody who's is blind from birth because there are even people among the visually impaired community and that's, you know, that's, that's fair enough, that's your choice, who say, what's the point to take a picture is I'm blind, you know, and that's that's okay too, you don't, you don't have to. But if somebody was completely blind or, you know, is blind from birth, you know, and they wanted to try it, they could still do it. Might be as much connection to the visual aspect of it, I suppose, but, you know, people can if they want to. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I think with the advent of smartphones and and with, you know, uh, high-end phones like the iPhone or or maybe a a Samsung Android phone or whatever, you you tend, at least certainly as as a blind person, I've had lots of sighted people take photographs for me of different occasions and I label them now and I'm very for me now a big thing is the photos to show them to people on my phone I can scroll through them I can identify what they are and uh, I would not like to lose my photos it's funny how we, we are and I can understand then from from the other side of the perspective people who want to take these photos who are interested in creating them it's a it's a whole art form isn't it yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you create pictures, as you said, because you want to show them to people. You want to show people, oh, I was there. You know, I take pictures and send them to my mom at home, kind of, you know, to show Ireland. And even as a as a memory. And, yeah, even to, you know, to, to have them for yourself. And especially, like, I know visually impaired photographers are doing this for years. And it's like, oh, I used to have the old film cameras and... There were a lot of pictures that didn't work and I had to throw them all out, but I had to get them developed and pay for them. So now, you know, if it's not a good picture or, you know, if, if what you wanted to take a picture of isn't in it, you can just delete it. And especially, like, I was surprised with, um, sure works with Android as well, but with the iPhone, you know, when the feature where it tells you what's in the picture and even for the Facebook um, descriptions as well. Now, sometimes they're rubbish, but a lot of the time they're really, really they're really, really accurate. Like, I mean, I had p- took a picture of my dog and it even said Jack Russell. I mean, that's so precise to think about it. It's, so that's, it, it, that's it is, really amazing. It, it's incredible. And as you say, on the iPhone, you're getting all these descriptions. Plus, you're even being told, you know, one face in shot. And, and I know, I, I, I've, I've certainly found that helpful. Get less videos of the ground. So um, when, when you sent this email into us in NCBI last week, we were quite excited. Uh, Fanula Murphy, our communications manager, and myself kind of said, we want to get involved in this. So we're going to host 
um, this pho- this photography workshop. Tell us what's going to happen over over the weekend in July, and we give the dates and all that in a moment. What 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 can people expect? So we're bringing the photographer Cast Nine over, and he would like to do a workshop. And in Dublin, so we haven't done this before in an English-speaking country, so quite excited to bring it out of Berlin and bring it somewhere else. And uh, there will be like an introduction, you know, talk about photography, because I think the main thing with visually impaired photography, it's more conceptual, especially when you're completely blind or have very little vision. Like when you're sighted, you go around and you look at things and they're like, oh, that looks cool, let's take a picture. You know, it's more like kind of snaps. When you're blind, you can't really do that because you obviously don't really see what's around you. So it's like conceptual photography and the way it works. That's why you have the teams as well. The teams and the sites help us. They're not only there to make sure what you want in the picture is in the picture, but also to help you get inspiration, let's say. So, um, yeah, we do kind of an introduction, how it works and teams and also ask people what, you know, what they would like to do. Some people maybe may just come and say, oh, I'll, I'll give this a go. I don't have any expectations, but other people might say, I want to take pictures of a person that's very important to me or a place I like to go because that's part of the thing. It's um, taking pictures that there's a story attached to them. You know, like if you can relate it and you talk about why you took the picture, what's in it, why is it important for you. You create the whole story around it. And it's not just a picture because, I mean, especially in the age of Facebook, Instagram, there are too many pictures and there's so many of them, they can't even take them in. So it has to be kind of a story to make them special. So we help people find their story they want to tell in their pictures. So there'll be like a theory part. And then, as I said, we... Go out, go somewhere where people want to go on groups, I don't know, go to the city, go to a park, depending on the weather, I suppose, and take pictures. And uh, we use mainly phones. People can bring their own phone if they want, but we also have a few digital cameras. And we won't really do much with the settings, you know, just take the auto settings. It won't be... So even if you're not a techie person, you just get a camera and you just press a button and people will help you. So the technology aspect is really no problem. And then, yeah, so we go out in groups and take pictures and you can do anything, you know, you can take pictures of objects. That's quite easy to do for visually impaired people because you can go and touch it and then kind of walk away and take a picture from it. So statues, little objects. But you can also take portraits. Um, We did that last year for a whole workshop, just portraits. Uh, which is really interesting because then you obviously ask the person first. But, like, you know, most people are fine when you go and kind of touch them to find out, you know, where they're sitting. They have long hair, short hair to get an idea of the person. And you can actually even, while you're taking pictures, talk to them so you know where they sit. So that's quite easy to do. And then for the second day, we do light painting. Um, I tried that out myself in... January in Berlin, the first time uh, we had the American photographer, Sonia Sobra. She's a Latin America, American. She's in her 80s. She's really cool. Um, um, and she showed us light painting, which basically takes place in a completely dark room. Um, and you use very long exposure time on a digital camera. 
basically means you decide when the picture starts take when the picture starts when you start taking a picture and you open the shutter and stays open for as long as you like and you can close it whenever you like so you can take a picture over like 10 minutes which is more like a painting then and so it's completely dark and you work with flashlights because only what you illuminate with a flashlight is in the picture it's been hard to explain. <laughs> we, uh, people are interested. We show to them on the day. It sounds really. I mean, there's a huge amount in that over two days. Um, it, are are people in in terms of the the type of people who might attend? Any previous experience necessary? Any any type of camera they should bring, or or, or there's just their phone? I mean, I, I know you mentioned that already. Anything in particular they should be, be, be bear in mind? Um, it's no, I like it's it's really it's really open to everyone who. You know, would like to give it a go. You can have experience, but you don't have to. Um, for the first part, um, you know, if people have a phone or a digital camera, definitely you can bring it, but we'll have a few on the day and just let us know if you don't have one. Like, you know, not having a camera is, is, doesn't have to be a reason why you can't. I'm sure we'll, f- we'll find one. For the second part, um, there probably only one team doing it at a time because, as I said, you need a dark room and it has to be really dark. So only one group can work at the time. And we bring a good camera where you can do the exposure for that one. So they work in groups and they kind of swap. But it's definitely open to everyone. Um, you know, I can even bring sighted friends as a helper, but we are hoping for a few volunteers. And even someone sighted who, you know, has an interest in photography. Again, the volunteers be great if they have experience with photography, but they don't necessarily have to. So it's really, it's like, it's come and try. I mean, you know, it's only two days. There's only so much you can do. Everyone wants to go. So, you know, even if, like, we'd like to get an exhibition at the end, a few pictures, get people to write in the text about the pictures and kind of showcase them. But, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to create an artwork at the end of the day. It's more to come and try it out, really. Sounds really exciting. Now, the event is taking place on the 8th and 9th of July. It's a Saturday and Sunday in NCBI, or at least be based in NCBI. You did mention there'll be plenty of outings and you can paint. You can rather uh, go and take pictures in, in parks and all sorts of other places that you might be interested in. How can people register or find out more? I suspect, by the way, there's quite a few people listening going, I'd like to try this. It's something very, very different. We haven't heard about this before. So how can people get in touch? So we, of course, we have, we started off the German blog, which mightn't be that relevant because not a lot of people have German, but there's some great pictures on it. But the English blog is called Photorations, Pictures for the Blind and Sighted. Uh, the website is www.photorations.wordpress.com. It's quite long. I'm sorry about that. Um, and you can also send us an email at pickdesk at gmail.com that stands for a picture description so it's p-i-c-d-e-s-c at gmail.com all right pickdesk at gmail.com we'll put the website um the english version of that website on the show notes for this podcast episode tina thanks for talking to us about it i, I i'd be very interested to kind of follow up on this and, and find out how it went so uh, hope it all goes well in july and I'm, i've no doubt you will get lots of people contacting you who are interested uh, but for the moment thanks a million for talking to us Thanks very much. Many thanks, Tina. That was a really interesting piece, wasn't it? The whole idea of photography and 
how you can do these things blind or with low vision. And I was only talking to a colleague about this today. The painting piece for me sounds very interesting. I, you know, conceptually have have no sense of 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 sort of maybe what things might look like in the world, although many people have said to me that I must see things in my mind's eye, and I suppose in, in a sense I do. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you a very, very quick story that somebody like Tina will probably appreciate. Um, I remember years back uh, living in Kildare, and we were putting up Christmas decorations, and I was about 10 at the time. So I'm totally blind at the time, about 10. And something was said about putting the putting the glitter or the, the tinsel or whatever it was at the top of the window. And I was thinking, but what do you mean the top of the window? I thought the window, the top of the window was as high as I could feel. And I had no concept of why windows needed to be higher for light to come into the room. So it's, you know, I think all those things are interesting and they link so much to this uh, photography project. If you want to get involved, you know what to do. You know who to contact. It sounds like a great event on the 8th and 9th of July. Thanks to our contributors this month, Daryl, Haley, Sharon Lyons, and of course, Tina Pollock. And join us in July when, amongst other things, I'll be speaking to Jens Norman. If you don't know who Jens is, Google him. It's an amazing story and uh, one you're going to enjoy. Until then, from Stuart Lawler, have a great month and talk to you in July. Goodbye. Goodbye.